Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing wellbeing information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. Before we get started, you can find a video version of this episode on our YouTube channel, Pursuit of Wellbeing. My guest today is Adele Bates. Adele is a behavior and education specialist. She's had juice poured over her head. <laughs> She's been whacked by a skateboard. She's taught a year seven pupil who'd experienced extreme trauma how to read their first ever word. I love that. How beautiful is that? Mm. Adele is an educator and advocate for inclusion, especially for students with social, emotional, and mental health needs. With over 18 years experience, Adele teaches those pupils in a variety of educational settings and trains others to do so as well. She's a TEDx speaker, 2020, and a forthcoming author of Behaviour Guide, Miss I Don't Give a I don't know how to pronounce that. (laughs) With saying, it's what? It depends if you're allowed to swear on your podcast or not. Yeah, I, I think possibly not, but we, we, I know where we're going with that. And that's <laughs> publications. Adele, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I will make sure I give you the radio clean version today. <laughs> you are in sunny Bulgaria. We're recording this in early September 2020. Mm-hmm. It's 35 degrees where you are. It's not that warm here. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm over here right now um, writing the bulk of the book. Um, Miss I Don't Give Up. Um, so yes, it's it's just a chance for me to actually get it written because I realised that uh, the rest of this year whilst working in the school and trying to do it, I've done some, but the deadline's, the deadline's approaching. Excellent. Well, that segues nicely into what we're going to talk about today. And the theme really of this conversation is about the stressors that happen to teachers um, and, and the different ways that uh, different parts of the school life impact their well-being. And one big part of that is student behaviour, pupil behaviour. And I guess we're talking here around secondary, but probably not exclusively. And so how the conversation is about how do we support teachers in supporting students and young people manage their behaviour. So I guess a good starting point is um, just yeah how can you help us paint a picture of where to start yes thank you so i think the important place to start is that in the uk uh, the statistic the statistic that's commonly brought up is that behavior is the second reason that teachers are leaving the profession first Mm. one is workload second one's behavior so it always really baffles me that there isn't more um, support and infrastructure around this built into the system of being a teacher in our country and it's it's a gap that yeah that I look to to support and fill so I think the area it has to start with it's it's kind of a um there's, there's kind of two prongs the first one is ourselves we have to start with ourselves so the first chapter of my book is called you Mm. and we look at self-care and we look at well-being and very importantly we look at boundaries (laughs) because (laughs) um, as teachers will know if you struggle to hold your own boundaries so let's let's use something really simple let's say uh it's lunchtime 
and you would like to eat your lunch. Now, that sounds simple, but it's not always doable in schools. Um, you've got a lunchtime detention, there's a, an emergency meeting, you've got to prep your room, which is the other side of the school, and you grab that sandwich, and before you know it, you've had one bite, and the bell's gone, right? But you really want to have lunch, because you know that that, that will help you, but you struggle to hold that boundary for yourself. You struggle to put that boundary in, in your own self-care. So that's one area. And then, this is the juicy bit for me, when we move on to behavior, it's the same muscle we need. It's that same boundary. So that's why I begin with um, looking at your own boundaries for yourself and, and helping strengthening um, that muscle. Because then when you go to dealing with challenging behavior or behavior that's challenging for the adults then um, you've already kind of flexed that a little bit so you are able to hold that more strongly and holding boundaries um, really importantly to say it doesn't have to be all about discipline punishment zero tolerance I'm not talking about that I'm talking about the ability for you to look after yourself whilst a child is maybe shouting at you swearing at you throwing things at you you um, need to be able to protect yourself in in that place so that was the first one and then the other area is is the infrastructure and the support so this is what I'm looking towards um, school leaders and um, local authorities even government I'm looking towards them and saying if we want to retain staff around behavior we need support in there now what really interests me around this um, so I work in a lot of SEMH schools. So that's schools with students with social, emotional, mental health issues. And a lot of them have been excluded at least once, if not more. I've got one student, she's, she's been excluded six times from mainstream schools. Um, so we're, we're really talking about very young, vulnerable young people whose behaviour is really challenging for the adults. Six schools have said so, you know. And what really fascinates me about these young people is that fantastically they get support from therapists okay and we have a therapist in school in the main school that I work now that therapist the model of therapy is that they get supervisors and you cannot be a therapist unless you have a supervisor that's like part of the model of therapy and those therapists are working with the same children that we are and yet as teachers and even as teaching assistants and support staff we don't get that supervision now, when a child, actually any human, um, is, is distressed, is triggered, is reliving trauma, um, is kicking out in any way, shape or form in your classroom, they are giving you some kind of energy, right? There's some kind of, either it's projection or they are subconsciously wanting you to feel as bad as they are. They perhaps don't understand what's going on. They perhaps don't know how to communicate their needs. And so you get a lot of aggression violence negativity in this behavior and it's got to go somewhere and that's why i'm talking about the boundaries unless we have um both personally uh, a practice system of holding our own boundaries so that we're not as affected by that and secondly the structure within our education system to support us with these kind of incidents guess what we're going to get burnt out we're going to get upset it's going to affect our own mental health and i see this all over the place.
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you make such, well, wonderful points. Thank you for such a vivid introduction. <laughs> and let's go back to step one then about how do we set the boundaries? So back to the example of having lunch. And I see this all the time as well, that yes. teachers are too busy to eat or they need to make a choice between having a cup of tea or going to the bathroom. You know, those such time pressure. So what tips, what suggestions, what can we do to support teachers to, to set those boundaries and to hold those boundaries to, to, to get the most basic needs met during the day, to eat and drink and go to the bathroom? Yeah, exactly. How do we do that? Yeah. So from my experience, the most important thing to do is, is look at this issue before you get there. Actually, that moment, that, that moment on the knife edge that you just described, is it toilet or food? Yeah. We're almost too late by then. Yeah. We need to start way before that. So we need to start way before that in terms of, so the bigger picture, when we're teacher training, we need to be talking about this right, right, right at the start. Um, but for ourselves, let's go, um, again, I'm going to do what teachers can do individually and then what I feel that we could be doing uh, systematically. So individually... <laughs> can be really useful to when you are in a time and space where you feel relaxed so whether that's at home on your sofa whether it's walking your dog in the park wherever it is it's at that moment you look at this issue and you you look and let's say it's the lunch thing and we say okay I'm not getting lunch and then you kind of feel into that do I need lunch body usually says yes okay great so then you need to start thinking okay what is a what is um a doable achievable kind of mini goal in this is it that next week i'm going to have lunch three times yeah mm -hmm. so that this so we do it in in bite-sized steps because then we can achieve it and we can start to feel the benefit because the body is amazing um when we start to feel the benefit of doing something small we're more likely to want to do it whereas if we go in straight away from i'm not eating lunch that's it i need to eat lunch five days a week and if i don't hit there's another thing to bash my head and bash myself over head with actually that's 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 counterproductive so it's taking that time so whether that is as i said in a relaxed space for some of you it might be during meditation for some of you it might be during a conversation with a colleague a mentor a partner a housemate whoever it is you know the, It'll depend on your different circumstance, but it's really setting the intention because if you've got in a habit of not doing self-care at school, it's not going to flip and change unless you change something. So change something small. First, get that feeling of like, oh, actually, I had lunch on Wednesday. Oh, my goodness. The double with year 11 was so much easier. For example. <laughs> and then once you get that feeling you're more likely to, your, your body, your system is more likely to want to do it more. So that's the kind of, um, the personal approach. And then in terms of the system and the education system, <laughs> I think this is a much, much bigger question. I think first of all, quite importantly, um, whilst head teachers are you know, ultimately responsible for a lot of the, the well-being of their staff, I think we also have to realise that head teachers and SRT also need to do the self-care for themselves. Yes. Um, Maria, you and I have been working with a wonderful woman, Kimberly, from Nourish the, work the Workplace. Yeah. Yes. And I shared uh, a while back one of her fantastic resources, which was actually about how can SLT and head teachers look after themselves? You know, we can't just put it all on them as well. There's a real culture shift that needs to change in this. And I think it does come down to those schools who are doing fantastic things like 
they're closing the gates at six o'clock. Everybody has to be out of school physically by six o'clock or they're, I don't know the technical bits, but they're stopping the email system. So you can't reply after five o'clock to any parents or carers. We have to put practical things in place. And again, it starts from us as whether it's a school, whether it's local authority, whether it's a government, I'm going to be in there one day. I'm going to be in the Department of Education leading part of this. Um, it's taking for that. <laughs> can I? Um, but it's taking that time outside of the stressful situation. It's very, very, very difficult to change things in the moment or situation or environment of stress. It needs to happen before that. Yeah. You know? It needs to happen before. And then just a caveat, because I don't want people to feel like, oh, I'm getting all this wrong. Um, if you get to that moment of stress and you can't, you know, it is toilet or, or food and you've got to choose one of them. You just do what you can in that moment. And then afterwards, again, put that um, time back in. Where is it you can go on a walk? Where is it you can go for a rant? Where is it you can um, talk with someone um, to think, OK, it's not ideal, but what can we do next time? And it's trial and error. We never get it right. Of course, of course. But I, you make a wonderful point there that, that we can deal with the, the only place we can properly deal with these is in a reflective time, in a, in a quieter time, when we can look at them and think, so what is it that's getting in the way every lunchtime? How can I never get to lunch? So what is it? And you described, you know, emergency meetings or preparing your lessons or all kinds of things that get in the way. So what can you do ahead of time to manage those things mm -hmm. that can make sure that you can carve out some time for lunch? And I think that that reflective time uh, is, is, is I've never heard people talk about it in that way. How can you plan ahead of time to, to solidify those yeah. boundaries and get things in place? And I think this, this kind of approach works exactly for behavior as well. Tell me we will do that. The, we will. So at whatever stage we're in, in our teaching experience, we're going to do the best we can in that moment mm. of the challenging behavior. Right. Okay, good. And I think, I really love to give out permission slips when I train teachers and teaching support staff because I think otherwise we get into this thing if I should be doing better I should be able to handle it I mean I've done it I definitely had that thought I'm a behaviour and education specialist why can I not cope with this child right now <laughs> you know, and when permission, you permission slips what do you mean by that what I mean is it's the permission slip of we're human right and we're not always going to get it right so in that moment you're going to do your best but the way to do your best in that moment with the behavior, again, is to have done the preparation before. So a really small example is know your own triggers. This is something I talk about in my book. So young people, especially teenagers, which are the, the kind of area that I work with the most, but all young people, they have this wonderful ability to get under your skin and find that button, right? If you know what your button is, it's easier to navigate around it. It's easier to, to not let it be in the room. So it's quite interesting. I'm bisexual and I'm out um, with anyone who I teach. And um, often the, the young people think that that might be something that can trigger me, um, but it's not, unfortunately, for them. Um, but they will try. And it's quite funny watching them try to get it. But because I've done the preparation work before, I've, you know, I've made that decision to be an out teacher. For me, that's very important to be a role model in that way. Um, and so actually they, they kind of can't get me with that. Um, whereas I've started getting gray hairs, right? 
-hmm. Now I'm still getting used to that. And I'm like, okay, this is a new part of my identity. I'm in my mid thirties. I haven't had gray hair before, you know, and I'm just kind of playing with that. And I'm thinking, okay, if a kid picks up on that, that feels a little bit more raw. Yeah. Because it's something that I'm still kind of working out for myself. So again, this um, preparation before now, I think, more or less, I'd be okay. But I'm just aware that that's slightly more touching than perhaps other subjects. And then I'm thinking particularly um, with 2020, lots of people are going to have been through lots of different things. And there might be some very personal things, some very upsetting things that you've experienced during this time that actually, if a kid picks up on it, it could be the thing that actually flips you over the edge and makes you shout and makes you scream and, and, and deal with that behavioural issue very very clumsily but it's because you you know it's 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 getting to you yeah so it's you see how it's the kind of same pr- approach in the in the preparation yeah. in terms of your own well-being i love that and and so let, it's probably a good time then to talk about well-being and behavior post lockdown as, mm. as um children and young people and staff and we're all coming back together mm-hmm. how do we approach that so from now this term or this academic year can, mm. can you help us Yes, definitely. So I've had some I've had some great conversations with another colleague of ours, Kate McAllister, who talks a lot about toxic stress and our own self-regulation and modelling self-regulation to young people. And I think that that's really helpful. It's something that I'm really holding on to because we're all in a heightened state. Okay. And I mean, right now it's kind of first week back for most people, isn't it? And, and I can feel the energy of teachers and heads. You know, we're excited to be back in the classroom. It's really, you know, it's good. But with that comes this high energy, this kind of like anxiety, and there will be a crash from that. Um, I think lots of pupils are in the same situation. Um, and so again, we need to put in time and space whether that's check-ins, whether that's uh, time for us to go away and again, chat with people and, and reflect on what's going on, but also time for our kids. So for some students, the thing that will make them the most calm and, and the most ready to work is for everything to be as normal as possible. Get the algebra out. Let's carry on where we left off, page 73, go. Um, for some students, they are not going to be capable of that. Now, I'm thinking of my SEMH students children with social emotional mental health issues so these are children who already even before 2020 had experienced trauma abuse neglect mental health issues and so they already are in often in a much more heightened state within the classroom and hence why it comes out in behavior because they're they're struggling with um reliving those experiences or not not knowing how to communicate in different social situations now put on the experiences they may have had in 2020 that's going to be heightened in addition we've got young people who perhaps we would never have thought of particularly having behavioral issues it will come out and i i read something fantastic by uh, lisa cherry yesterday actually another fantastic woman working around trauma and resilience and she was saying let's not be mistaken it's not that a whole host of young people have suddenly got more mental health issues it's it's just that as humans we are very very naturally reacting to some kind of trauma some kind of global pandemic mm-hmm. so there's going to be a reaction from that and it doesn't mean we need to suddenly label every child with anxiety 
we we are going to have these responses because we're human and that's that's very natural but again in, within the classroom if you want to maintain an environment that is calm and focused on learning you're going to have to give extra space for that because a higher percentage of your young people will be dealing with more challenging things than usual and if you don't give that time and space in there if you're not able to very importantly is, is making it feel safe for them and yes i'm talking about the practical things that we've all got to do but also emotionally safe if they don't feel emotionally safe they're going to kick off and you will know about it <laughs> how can you give give our listeners and viewers some ideas on what are some practical things you can do to make your classroom feel emotionally yes. safe yes so my favorite one is really easy and doesn't take any planning or any extra time Ding. so you've got your register and if you're mainstream they could be up to like 35 children i do not need to hear yes miss times 35 that is a waste of my two minutes i mean obviously not a waste in terms of the safeguarding and attendance but in terms of the the kind of dialogue in the classroom so i use this as an opportunity to do a sensory test of my classroom and initially they might find it a little bit strange i mean i've done this right from primary all the way through to sixth form and initially it might be a bit strange for them and you might just go yeah bored 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 tired meh. i get a lot of that but keep with it and a couple of weeks down the line a few a few weeks later um you'll start to hear the nuances and you'll start to be able to really understand how the young people are feeling how ready they are to work and then you can adapt to it so an example i use was a year 11 class that i was working with it was coming up to the exams usually they give me the board board tired tired board board but as it was coming up to the exams i was getting stressed out nervous effing effing bleep 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 okay so i was getting these these reactions so that was just so good i mean i see that as formative assessment they are giving me the clue as to where i need to start my lesson if i've got stressed nervous overwhelmed etc i need to start that lesson in a very different place to if i've just got oh okay to me oh okay is okay i'm ready i'm, I'm in the room miss i'm ready to learn but if i've got nerves and stress and anxiety i need to start that lesson in a very different place if i want the young people to learn the academic things we're sharing so that is such an easy tool and it can it can prevent behavior issues coming up so i've used that and through that two minute thing i've discovered there was a fight at break time <laughs> everybody's hyper everybody's wound up and again that gave me okay i need to just do a five minute ten minute kind of turnaround activity that will get them ready to do their mock exam because if i'd have gone straight into that mock exam with everybody high as a kite about a fight at lunchtime, it wouldn't have worked yeah. so, so what's the question you're asking so rather than just asking for a, a regular mm -hmm. kind of attendance question what's the question that you're asking that would get the response is it just how are you or yeah yeah um depending on the age group so i with my secondary i'd usually say say one to two words to describe how you feel Great. and that can be icky okay it's got the word feel in it 
and teenagers are a bit like feel primary school tend to be better at that some primary schools have systems in place already and i've seen some fantastic work being shared at the moment around children talking about which monster they are whether a red monster or a blue monster like red monsters kind of an angry uh, blue monsters chilled out you know those kind of things so it could be you could you know you could incorporate into whatever learning you're doing so you could say what color monster are you and that could be their response. So it depends what kind of things you've already got set up. But if you've got nothing, then I would just say, yeah, how are you? If you think that the word feel is a bit too touchy-feely. Um, how are you? Two words. And and even if they respond with grunt, uh, let that be okay. Yeah. Let that be okay. Don't question them on it. Because if you question, it on, question them on it, you are essentially giving them the message it's not okay to feel what you're saying. Yeah. And, and it will take a few rounds for them to get over you know the shy ones to get over nerves or or for the class to kind of realize how emotionally safe they are with one another is this a space where i can say actually i've had a bereavement and i'm really a mess and, and home life's a mess at the moment because they're dealing with it is this a place i can say it, or am i going to get picked on later by yeah. that kid you know so it will take a few sessions for the for the children to to kind of feel the boundaries of the safety net but that that's what you're holding that's such a great way to just calm the waters a little bit and have you found that that has an impact on as you as you mentioned right at the beginning of the conversation about about young people kicking off or having some kind of being triggered in some way have you found that that has an effect on definitely definitely so often young people with behavioral issues or SEMH they struggle to communicate and that's why it comes out as behavior. Now they struggle to communicate for all sorts of reasons we haven't got time to go into, but I do have blogs and things about that. You can have a look, but as, as adults in schools, I believe it's our job, not just to teach them academically, but to role model and teach them how to self-regulate, how to behave. Some of them won't actually know because of whatever they've been through in their past and you won't necessarily know what they've been through. I mean, I work with young people who think of the worst thing a human being can do to another human. And some of my kids have experienced that before they were five. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. It messes you up a little bit, right? To say the least. And so when you say to a child, for example, we'll go and share the books, share, share for a child who has been neglected is a completely abstract concept. Mm. If you are in a, if you have experienced neglect, more likely than not, you've had to do things to survive. If you are a refugee child, you might have had to steal to survive. And I'm talking about actually survive. And so then to come into a classroom and be told to share, you can see how that doesn't work unless we role model what sharing is and that it's safe to share. And that, yes, although this I don't know whatever pen is going to be taken away from you right now because it's it's Freddie's turn it will come back to you as well and we need to teach that and we need to teach that self-regulation and it doesn't always work that they, they still will kick off at times and I would say especially now there's a lot of heightened anxiety and emotions going on and we we're all kind of guessing but again if you've already put into your lesson plan actually we've got a double period you know what we're going to have a five minute break through that double. That five minute break might save you 20 minutes of bashing your head against the wall when you're trying to get them to be quiet. Sometimes they just need to let off steam. 
yeah sometimes what, that's what needs to happen what would you do in that five minutes anything mm. specific or just um... yeah so it, it totally depends on the class and what they need i mean i love to run a yoga session but mostly the kids just tell me where to go <laughs> um, but I do hide it but what I mean by that is something physical so I've been working recently with an occupational therapist who works with young people with sensory needs and um, she gave me a great tip um, when I was doing a, when we've been doing a lot of remote teaching she said even just a minute looking out of the window does something to our brains yeah. and calms us down so sometimes I might just get a class on their feet if they're physically able to and I get them to find three things out of the window beginning with T. I mean it can be as random as that but something to give them a sensory um, break from whether it's a computer or if it's writing or whatever it is. Another really useful tip in terms of behaviour, I had a young person, um, I was desperately trying to get him counselling, I'd, I'd seen lots of evidence of um self-anger lots of anger going to himself i was concerned there was self-harm going on and his really good kid generally but his behavior was becoming disruptive in my class mm. and so whilst trying to fight the system <laughs> bang my drum and get him the counseling that he needed alongside that i put in a sensory break for him now he's 15 and we're in secondary school. We don't do, okay, everybody get the fluffy blankets out because that does not wash. Miss, you're being totes cringe is the kind of response you're going to get. So what I did, and I, I use this a lot, it's a really useful thing for behaviour, is you put in a hidden sensory break. So what I would do in his lesson, when I could see that he was starting to get a bit fidgety-fidgety, I'd always have a library book. I'm an English teacher. I'd always have a library book that suddenly needed taking back to the library. And I'd just say to him, Liam, oh, it's, it's library book time. Can you can you pop that back to Mr. Katz? And of course, it really didn't need to be done that moment. But what it did is it gave him three minutes, three minutes to stand, three minutes for him to walk, three minutes for blood to pump around his system, three minutes for him to have a chat with Mr. Katz. And I'd arrange for the librarian, Mr. Katz, who is fabulous. I'd said to him, look, this kid's going to come every so often. He just needs that sensory break. But can you just kind of chat with him? Um, and then he would come back to the classroom and be ready to learn. Prevention. <laughs> yes. And you know what's just shining through Adele is so much kindness and understanding. And that feels like the bedrock. And I know teachers mm -hmm. are wonderful at this. But having the tools that you're describing brings this kindness and generosity to, to the work. And it just makes it better for everybody. Mm -hmm. wow they're, and they're simple doable free things you know the other one i'm not we haven't got time to go into it but i just want to flag it in case yeah. people want to know more is free writing mm -hmm. to me free writing it i mean i always say there's not a magic bullet and i'm despite how much i try i'm not mary poppins um but if there was a magic bullet it would be free writing so essentially it's stream of consciousness writing you can build it into your lessons at any age and you can build it in the curriculum i've i've got a few blogs on that and i keep getting asked to a webinar it's coming it's coming um but again it's a fantastic free easy tool uh, that can be 
built within your lesson plan can be um, created to support the work it's not anything extra but oh my goodness the joys on that so I won't say any more because I, I will talk for half an hour um, but if you're interested in that go and look at my website and have a look at the free writing blogs great it's it's such a powerful way to get everything out of your head I think journaling writing anything to get because when it's in our head it's so subjective right we can, we can really, it's all subjective but when it's on paper we can be more objective like it's an object on the page and we get it mm. out of our system and can be more objective so any kind of dumping out of the yeah. head so powerful. I like how you say that Maria I haven't I haven't used that phrase it's like an object on the page I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that one if that's okay it's all yours. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> also by the way if you're kind of intrigued about pre-writing but sitting there thinking my school would never let me do it I even give tips on how to wingle it round um skeptics and uh, i just had some feedback recently a school um saw my blogs and i think there's a vlog on it as well and they're now trying it with the entire school this term i'm yeah. so excited to hear how it goes for them fantastic well that's a good opportunity to wrap up and adele is there anything you'd like to say to teachers about pupils about anything just to any final thoughts from you before mm. we I think when it comes to behaviour, there are some buzzwords that come up and uh, are often kind of almost like synonyms to behaviour. And one of them is consistency and how important it is for us all to be consistent. And I totally agree. However, I think what you were touching on there, Maria, in terms of kindness and compassion, I think that's where the consistency needs to be. Um, so I want to give the example of it. Let's say you've decided that to be consistent, there's no talking during the register, right? And if anyone talks during the register when they're not, you know, not when they're answering, obviously, um, then it's a detention. Maybe you've put that down and that needs to be done. And I've done that before. That sometimes needs to be done. Let's say that's your, your thing that you're being consistent on. Great. It's often what I call a non-negotiable. I've talked about those quite a lot. But um, then let's say a kid has a nosebleed during the register and they quickly say to their friend have you got a tissue or they get your attention or whatever are you really going to give that kid a detention for having a nosebleed because if you if you put consistency in outward actions as like this absolute pedestal of zero tolerance you're going to get yourself in knots because you i mean please i mean if there is a teacher who would give the child's attention that in that situation fine but i really really don't think there is and so what i'm demonstrating there is the consistency is with the kindness 99.9 percent .9 your consistency is also with your rules your expectations in your classroom absolutely because those rules make us feel safe and that's really important for well-being and it really helps the behavior if children know where the boundaries are then they know what to kind of what they can get away with um but the consistency really has to come from your actual kindness and compassion first so that then in that 0.1% of the time when the child is talking during the register because there's a nosebleed, because their arms are falling off, whatever's going on, mm -hmm. then you're able to react to that, to what's happening in the present moment. So I think that um, when I'm asked about consistency and behaviour, that's my answer that yes, we need to be consistent with the compassion and then that that then enables us to not only create the safe buffer for the children but also to be present and to 
to react to what's happening in the moment and what's needed in the moment, not some kind of random framework that we've made up. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're, we're running short on time, but I want to just pick up on the point about kindness and compassion for anybody that's hearing this and thinking that feels soft or that feels weak or that feels like they're just going to run riot with me. And, and I know we've, we've, we've talked about a lot of different strategies there, but is there just a quick point you could make there about how kindness and compassion doesn't, doesn't equal weak? Mm. And, you know. Absolutely. I am passionate that my young people do the best they can in their education. And sometimes because of that, I have to hold very firm boundaries. <laughs> so I think nicely, yeah. Yeah. So an example might be there's a young person I work with. Um, they've been out of education for seven years because of their, their home life situation. And they once said to me, oh, primary school, miss, all I had to do was kick over a chair. And then I got to go and watch videos and eat ice cream. Oh, okay. So you can see there that the compassion and kindness actually was undermining the child. And unfortunately, now that child's with me in secondary school and massive educational gaps. So you can see how that that's what I'm talking about, reacting to what's happening, um, actually happening. And then once this child had told me this, I, I sat him down and I said, right, you've told me that. Now, I'm really, really... Um, passionate about your education and you know what that means don't you and he was like mm. and I said it means that sometimes I'm going to hold those boundaries and I'm going to be very firm with you and I'm not going to listen to your excuses because I know you have the potential to do well so to sum it up it is a Julie Andrews quote I will be kind but firm <laughs> okay Adele can you tell us what do you do personally to take care of your own what, what are your self-care practices mm. the main one that works for you so I came about this kicking and screaming <laughs> to, the, uh, to the thing that, that helps me the most. So when I was 26, I started having lots of difficulties with my menstruation, lots of pain. Um, I had um, like all sorts of phantom pains as well during my ovulation. I was bleeding when I shouldn't be bleeding, all sorts of things. And the, the crux of it was... Uh, at the time, my mum was 49 and just about to have a full hysterectomy. And at this time, my early 20s, I was like, as my nan used to say, I was like a bull at a gate. I, I never stopped. I never, ever stopped. And another one my nan used to say was, um, you're going to meet yourself coming back. You are. Um, and that was very much how I was. Everything needed to happen yesterday. And so I, I had no room for self-care or, or like anything and let alone periods I mean come on um, so that's kind of where I came from and I think it's important to say that because um, people will be listening to this thinking the same thing um, so then one day I had the mother of all period pains I was on the floor I was writhing I love that word writhing um, that I there was just, it was just overwhelming pain and there was nothing I could do. I'd been to the doctors and the hospital who'd prodded and poked for weeks on end and told me there was nothing wrong with me. So there was nothing that my my medical that you know the NHS medical approach could could give. 
And so in this moment, I can remember very clearly, I was on the floor of my studio flat and there happened to be the um, brochure of the Brighton Fringe. And in that there was a workshop about creativity and the menstrual cycle. And I was so begrudged. I was like, fine. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, work with this any, any other way. And I said, fine, I'll book in. And as you do. And then a few weeks later, I was at it and at this workshop. And this workshop actually changed my life. Um, because I learned the power, and I am going to use the word power, of my menstrual cycle. Mm. Because inbuilt within people who menstruate there is this fantastic map and this map if we follow it if we're able to follow it and there's lots kind of we can talk about around that but if we are able to honor and be aware of this map that is physically built in our bodies then we have a natural path to self-care so within the cycle there are points in which yeah guess what it's best to rest but there are other points where it's where it could be really useful to generate ideas there are other points where it's a really great time to go out there and be superwoman there are other points where it's really good to do some editing or clearing or decluttering and what i started to discover and this is the bit that appealed to my skeptic brain that was really kind of going i can't just sit and rest and bleed that's not going to work um what really appealed to me about it was that it's this full cyclical map. And so over the years, so this was when I was 26, how old am I now? That was nine years ago. Since then, I mean, I've done lots of work around this. I've been to lots of workshops. I've done their leadership. I've done a leadership program. I'll tell you about that in a second. But essentially what I've done is very, very slowly, as I was talking about with the behavior, bit by bit, I've gone, okay, fine. I'll try and just do a little bit more this month on resting in my period and it might have looked like 10 minutes having a bath okay that's that's perhaps where it started and I have become addicted because now because I've become better at resting at my period guess what in the other side of my cycle I am flying on all cylinders and I also now um, plan my entire diary around my menstrual cycle Amazing. So, yeah, so even my, I have an assistant who works my diary because I'm really not very good at it. Um, but it, so she now knows which part of my cycle I'm in and when is it best to have the really terrifying keynote conference that I've just been asked to do. And when is it best to do some editing on my book? Now it's not a rocket science because, um, I mean, sorry, no, not rocket science. It's not clear cut because we also then have life, society, and I'm going to say it, patriarchy on top of us. Mm. So there's a massive, massive balance there. There's, I could go on for ages, but if you are interested in this, the people I work with are called Red School and they are pioneering trailblazers in this. Their book is called Wild Power and it's by the fantastic Alexandra Pope and Shane Hugo Wurlitzer. And within it, they go very, very deeply into this work, including one of my favorite chapters, which is called How the Bleep Do You Practice This Kind of Awareness with Your Cycle 
in this non-cyclical world so if you, you know all the practical answers are there so they're the main organization i work with i completed their leadership program a couple of years ago and so sometimes i teach as well on, on what we call menstrual cycle awareness and um they are also if you're sitting there asking this question they are currently working on their next thing it's about to be launched which is their workshop around menopause and there's a book that's going to be it's going to be rocking this world Maria I'm so excited about this book on menopause because again it's looking at the power and I I realize there will be some here people sitting here um, who are currently going through the menopause and thinking what is this woman talking about what's she talking about power of menopause um, it's a disaster um, the support um, and the the way that we can approach and and self-care for ourselves during that time as well there's also areas looking at um, for people who don't have a regular cycle and how to support that um, our trans friends and how they might interact with a cycle or for trans women how might or postmenopausal women how they might interact with the moon in place of the cycle so there's it it, can, it kind of caters for everyone around that and then just to finish off when you bring that back into school oh my goodness the power of it the power of it because i mean i'm going to just give you a very small one there's loads again that i've got blogs on it but back to behavior i had a colleague who came to me once and said i just don't get it this girl we've done so much work with her her behavior is really good but about once a month it all goes wrong and we go back to zero all you need to do is know the menstrual cycle so i was able with this knowledge to support him not not overtly this was not like him going up and going, I'm going to support your menstrual cycle. That would not work in that situation. But I was able to support him, firstly introducing him to the idea of going, hmm, once every roughly 28 days, what could that be? Um, but also helping him slightly adapt his learning to support her needs at that time. And guess what? Her behavior issues went. So yes, menstrual cycle awareness is my... I don't want it to be secret anymore weapon um that is my absolute number one self-care tool and i definitely recommend it to anyone who menstruates or anyone who happens to live with anybody who menstruates can also be really handy to know about this work <laughs> i am yeah i'm in a same-sex partnership so um we've got two going around um but yeah it's it can be an incredible tool and it's red school and their book wild power that i would i would advise you to go and have a look at it feels like you know one of the last taboos doesn't it talking about mm -hmm. these things and if you look at a typical primary school the vast majority of staff are women yes. and when do we ever talk about this stuff when do we acknowledge the the the, the cycle of our cycle i mean mm -hmm. never ever ever do we so i'm so yeah. grateful to you for bringing this up and for raising our awareness around this and how we can support ourselves uh through our menstrual cycle that's um mm -hmm. I, I'm going to have to add something now, Marie. It made me think of something. So um, this is anecdotal, but I personally believe in it 100%. Um, I know many women who during the GCSE period, teachers, their periods stop. Yeah. And that's the teachers, let alone the kids, right? And the fantastic thing about menstrual cycle awareness is that it's, it's what I call a canary. Okay, so people who menstruate have this wonderful power to um to really let the community know what's going on 
So if women have stopped and, and people who menstruate have stopped bleeding, that means there's something not safe about that environment. It's the canary, you know, like in the, the world's war, they yeah. yeah yeah they sent the canaries down the mines to check and and that kind of goes the same you can see how that works in other ways like if you start getting a cough and a headache um and it kind of continues and a few people at school get that you know it's a stressful time you know it's it's very similar but what i what i think is amazing about menstrual cycle awareness is it works personally so i know for example if i get pains one month now there's there's something in my lifestyle that's that's putting that pressure on because i don't need to have pains anymore because I've adapted my life around it, but also it it can work for the community and it can work for the school. And then once I found out that women are, their periods are stopping during GCSE exam period. I mean, to me, that is just a warning sign. There's something wrong with this system. And the thing is about the menstrual cycle awareness is that it, it is the canary. And if you ignore that, then it gets worth, you know, Exactly. exactly, because that's showing up what's happening in our nervous system. And if our nervous system is under such stress, because there's two branches, and I'll go on to a little <laughs> rant here, this is my soapbox. About do. When we use one branch of the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, which is the sympathetic branch, which is the fight, flight or freeze response, when we overuse that branch, the other branch, the parasympathetic branch, which is all about rest, digest, yes. the, the, uh, our hormone regulation, all of the, the other part of that doesn't get the, um, literally the reserves that it needs. It doesn't get the energy and the glucose and the oxygen because it's all being used up in the fight, flight or freeze response. And so that's why it's, it's a physiological thing that happens. It's absolutely because we're not safe and our bodies are depleted and you're so right. If we ignore it, look at all the difficulties women have in, in conceiving, in miscarriages. You know, we, we, there, the problem doesn't go away just because we, we stop our cycle under stressful situations. It's a much, much, much bigger problem. So, yeah, we could talk about this all day. We could, we yeah. could. And maybe we will. Maybe let's just do another, a whole, a whole podcast about this and talk about this because, you know, we're, we're affected by it. It impacts us. And, uh, and as you said, by looking at it and by working with the cycle, that's the natural map to our well-being. What a beautiful way of putting it. <laughs> wonderful. Adele, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. My guest has been Adele Bates. You can find more information on her website, which is adelebateseducation.co.uk. And, in fact, would you like to tell people about your six-week mini, mini CPD downloadable? Yes. Thank you. Yes. So if you're interested in these things, I've got a um, downloadable CPD, and this is it's kind of dual purpose. So the same dual purpose I've been talking about all the way through. If you're an individual teacher or teaching assistant or support staff, you can go through that training uh, individually and there are thought points, activities for you to try in the classroom and things that you can, that you can do yourself. Also, I've had senior leaders and head teachers, etc. use them as kind of I suppose starters in staff briefings and things so they've used it over a series of six weeks so that you're looking at a part of approaches to behavior just a little five minute thing each week they're kind of thought pieces or small activities so it can be used in either way and that's downloadable from my website and it's 15 pounds one five and uh, you can get you can get that on there yeah
Brilliant. And you've got lots of other resources there that are all incredibly reasonably priced and tons of fantastic resources on your website. So that's adelbateseducation.co.uk. You can connect with Adele on Twitter at adelbateszz. Yeah. Right. Um, anywhere else you'd like people to find you that they Oh no, that's enough. That's my. That's part of my self care and self self boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> I only do Twitter. Uh, yeah. So Twitter Adele Bates Z or the, or over on the website. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website pursuitwellbeing.com and take our free teacher anxiety quiz. I'll include the link in the description below. The quiz only takes a couple of minutes and you'll get a better understanding of where you are today, plus tips to immediately feel better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.